we have a look at this part of God's word, let's pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you that in your word, in the Bible, we learn all that you have to teach us about yourself, about ourselves, and about how you have saved us, how you have met our greatest need. Help us to learn uh, more this morning, help us to understand what we read, and as we understand it, uh, help us to live in light of it. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Nothing lasts forever. Nothing lasts forever. Some things last until the day after the warranty expires. Uh, some things last a little longer than that, but ultimately everything in our world is temporary. Nothing lasts forever. And this is as true for people as for anything else in our world. The cycle of life and death is constant. The fragility of life is constantly before us. For us Aussies, that was possibly more obvious in previous generations. Yesterday was Remembrance Day, uh, marking the armistice on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month in 1918, which brought an end to the hostilities on the Western Front and ultimately led to the end of the First World War. Uh, this week I watched uh, a recent movie, All Quiet on the Western Front, uh, based on the book of the same name. It's the third movie made based on uh, this book. Uh, this particular movie won four Oscars this year, including Best International Feature. <coughs> Uh, based on the book, it's essentially an anti-war movie. It puts a truly human face on all those involved, especially the German soldiers. And it gives you this stark reminder of the temporary nature of life, especially during war, when the main character, a German soldier named Paul Balmer, dies in a, a final pointless battle at 10.59, one minute before the ceasefire begins. You get this powerful sense of just the temporary nature of life on this earth. And while we may not always experience death in such a confronting way in our lives here and now, uh, it's still true that we're all well aware of the end of life encroaching upon us. It can be frustrating and depressing at times, but it's a fact. Nothing lasts forever. We try to deny the temporary nature of our world, we work against it, we lather on the makeup and the moisturizer, we get plastic surgery, we exercise to lengthen our lives and tighten our abs, but all our efforts at best just delay the inevitable. They can see all the wrinkles for a little while, maybe lengthen our life for a few short years, but in the end we know nothing lasts forever. However, <laughs> Of course, as with most rules, there is an exception. Uh, the writer to the Hebrews has something to say about this. According to him, there is something that lasts forever, and that is the priesthood of Jesus. Throughout Hebrews, and particularly here in chapter 7, the preacher teaches about Jesus' everlasting priesthood. Uh, and we see that this priesthood is actually the solution to our temporary lives, the solution to the death that we all will one day face. In chapter 5, uh, the preacher told us Jesus became the eternal source of salvation, designated high priest in the order of Melchizedek. In the last couple of verses of chapter 6, 
the writer sets up for uh, sets us up for a discussion on the everlasting priesthood of Jesus. Uh, have a look at those last two verses, chapter six, verses nineteen and twenty. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. High priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. At the start of uh, last week's passage, we saw the the preacher chiding uh, his readers for not being ready to learn about this. Uh, But clearly he decides now they are ready, or they better be, because he launches into the everlasting priesthood of Jesus here in chapter 7. And he starts by answering a question on most people's minds as they read this. Who on earth is Melchizedek and what's he got to do with the priesthood of Jesus? Melchizedek's a fairly obscure Old Testament character. We only hear about him in Genesis chapter 14, Psalm 110 and here in Hebrews. Uh, But the preacher uses Melchizedek to establish Jesus' everlasting priesthood. He he gives us a bit of background at the start of chapter 7. Basically retells much of the story of Genesis 14 where we see Abraham returning from victory in battle and being met by Melchizedek who we're told is priest of God most high. Uh, Have a look at the first few verses of chapter 7 there with me. Chapter 7 from verse 1. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God most high. He met Abraham, returning from the defeat of the kings, and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also, king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. So we have Abraham uh, meeting this this priest of uh, God Most High. Uh, Before the nation of Israel or the Levitical priesthood ever existed, Uh, Melchizedek's a pretty mysterious personality. He almost seems to appear out of nowhere here in Genesis 14, and you hear almost nothing about him afterwards. Genesis is full of genealogies. That's a really important way in Genesis of showing the significance of the various people we hear about there, but not Melchizedek, no genealogy. Uh, you could almost think he's a supernatural being without father or mother, without beginning of days or end of life. I don't think that's quite what the, uh, what, what the writers of the Hebrews is saying, though. The fact that we don't know about his parents doesn't mean he doesn't have parents. The point the writer is making is about the, the priesthood of Melchizedek and the fact that it's entirely different to the Levitical priesthood. Genesis doesn't tell us about Melchizedek's parents or family line because they're, they're not important. His priesthood isn't dependent on those things. He simply is a priest of God Most High. Uh, the Old Testament priests of Israel had to come from the tribe of Levi. That was the law, God's decree. You couldn't be a priest in Israel unless you were a Levite. But the priesthood of Melchizedek isn't bound by those same limitations. And so the writer says his priesthood is better than the Levitical priesthood. The, the writer even says that it's as if Levi pays a tithe to Melchizedek through the body of their forefather Abraham. Uh, Abraham pays a tenth to Melchizedek and Melchizedek blesses Abraham. The lesser is blessed by the greater. The preacher says 
And through Abraham, Levi pays the tithe to Melchizedek. Have a read of verses 9 and 10 there with me. One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham, because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. So the preacher is describing an entirely different kind of priesthood to what his readers know and are used to. Uh, priesthood which is superior to the Levitical priesthood, a priesthood which goes on forever without beginning or end. We, we, we don't know about Melchizedek's genealogy, not told of his mother, his father. Uh, for all intents and purposes, he has no beginning and end. His priesthood has no beginning and end. It's not bound by human law, by, by, by law or by human bloodlines. Uh, that's why Melchizedek is there. He's a mysterious character, and you, you may want to lower, know a whole lot more about him. That kind of sparks your curiosity, doesn't it? When you read about characters like this in the Bible, and you think, well, what's going on here? But we're only told so much. The priest Melchizedek steps onto the stage just long enough to point us to the priest who the preacher really wants to tell us about, and that's Jesus. Uh, in verse 3, uh, he, he tells us there, Melchizedek is like the Son of God. Resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Ultimately, Jesus isn't like Melchizedek. Melchizedek is like Jesus. He, he's a type or a foreshadowing of the one who was to come. Uh, his priesthood points us forward to Jesus' everlasting priesthood. A little bit like the way the old Commodore 64 pointed forward to today's PCs. Uh, one points forward to the other uh, in terms of the type of machine that it is, but the latter eclipses the former uh, in terms of power and capability. So once, the, once the, the preacher has established this everlasting priesthood, uh, Jesus can step into the spotlight and Melchizedek can step into the background. The preacher is using Melchizedek to display the everlasting priesthood of Jesus. And that's a priesthood that we desperately need. Uh, because in contrast to the Levitical priesthood, the everlasting priesthood of Jesus can save us from sin. <laughs> the Levitical priesthood was temporary, it served a purpose, but it was always designed to be replaced. Have a read from verse 11 with me, chapter 7, uh, from verse 11. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? There was need for another priesthood to come because the Levitical priesthood couldn't make people perfect. If it could, there'd be no need to replace it. But it couldn't provide everlasting forgiveness for sins. For that, you need a priest in the order of Melchizedek. You need an everlasting priesthood. Uh, and the priest of that priesthood is Jesus uh, have a look from verse 13 with me, chapter 7, verse 13. He of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the, at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The preacher quotes Psalm 110, 
uh, again there where uh, God makes an oath, appoints his anointed as an everlasting priest. This makes him uh, greater than the Levitical uh, priesthood as well. Have a read from verse 18 with me. Follow along from there. Uh, The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Oaths, uh, others became priests without any oath, but he became a priest with an oath. When God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Because of this oath, God has be- uh, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Just as God swore on oath his promise to Abraham, we saw that last week, uh, so Jesus is appointed by the oath of God, a priest of an everlasting priesthood. Jesus becomes the guarantor of a better covenant. We'll learn more about that uh, in chapter 8 next week. Uh, And Jesus is priest of a priesthood entirely separate from the Levitical priesthood, uh, a priesthood which can achieve infinitely more than the Levitical priesthood. Because Jesus is a priest forever. He can forgive sin finally, forever, and constantly intercede for us. Before God, have a read of uh, the next couple of verses there, 23 and 23 to 25. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus is priest of a permanent priesthood because he lives forever. He died for our sins and rose back to life to reign forever. He can save his people completely because he always lives to intercede for them. Nothing will stop his saving work. It will never come to an end. It makes short work of the things that we often put our trust in as humans. Uh, I was watching a documentary uh, Last week with Joe, uh, one of the Joanna Lumley's documentaries uh, went on the Spice Trail. Uh, and she was in India visiting the, the once thriving city of Hampi in the so- southern states of in- India. Uh, 500 years ago, this was a large population center full of people, uh, many, many temples. Now it's basically just a crumbling complex of dozens of Hindu temples with a fairly small village attached uh, it attracts quite a few tourists because of its many temples, but most of the temples in Hampi are out of use. You can't worship there. Uh, reason being, they're covered in statues of various gods and deities, and if the deity is damaged, if the statue is damaged, you can't worship at that temple. If the deity is damaged, you can't worship it. In the Hindu religion, you can't worship at a temple with a Damaged deity. Christians will never have that problem. (laughs) Our Saviour is alive and lives forever to intercede for us. And he'll therefore always be worthy of our worship in any place at any time because he is alive and lives forever. So where the Levitical priesthood was powerless to save us from sin, Jesus gives us the hope of eternal life with God. 
in the temporary priesthood, the priests themselves were sinners who had to offer sacrifices for their own sins as well as for everyone else's sins. In the everlasting priesthood, we have Jesus who is holy and blameless. He has no need to offer sacrifices for his own sins. And so in the temporary priesthood, it's this ongoing cycle of sin and sacrifice, daily shedding the blood of animals for the sins of men. In the everlasting priesthood, the sacrifice is offered once for all when the high priest Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice for sin. The priest is also the sacrifice. Uh, Have a read of the last few verses here with me from verse 26. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son, who has been made perfect forever. So the everlasting priesthood is uh, far better than the temporary priesthood. There's really no comparison. The Levitical priesthood is like a a bandage over a gunshot wound. Uh, By comparison, it might stem the flow of blood and keep the patient alive for a while, but it can't treat the core problem. But when the patient gets to hospital, off comes the bandage, the surgeon goes in, removes the bullet, repairs the wound, a permanent solution to the problem and long-term solution for the patient. The Levitical priesthood can't save from sin. It was a temporary solution. It was there to point us to our sin, to continually demonstrate our need for the Saviour that God would send. Now that Jesus has come, we have an everlasting high priest who saves us completely and forever because he is alive in heaven, constantly interceding for us. See how the writer says it again there in verse 25, therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. In contrast to the temporary nature of everything around us, even in contrast to the Levitical priesthood established by God, uh, we have Jesus, the Saviour who lives forever, the one, the one hope we can have for eternal salvation. Because unlike everything else, he isn't subject to death and decay, and because he gave his perfect sinless life for ours, we can look forward to being saved forever from sin and death. What the preacher encourages us to do is to embrace this everlasting priesthood, to accept the everlasting salvation available in Jesus and to enjoy the freedom that comes with having Jesus as our high priest. The preacher was writing to assure his readers that they were free. Free from the temporary nature of their world, free from the endless cycle of animal sacrifices, the daily repetitive labour of imperfect human priests slaughtering animals and shedding their blood for the atonement of their own sins and for those of the people. Through Jesus, God's people are free from all that, but free, most importantly, from the sin that that sacrificial system reminded them of. Uh, And this is a message that many of the readers needed to hear. The preacher will talk a lot about this in Hebrews because they would have been pretty comfortable with the old system. 
as repetitive and time-consuming as it must have been, they probably sought comfort in the fact that well, they, were, they were active. They were doing something to deal with their sin. They were obeying God. After all, it would have been pretty tempting, even after hearing about Jesus and the salvation he brings, it would have been pretty tempting to go back to that old system. And it's not so different for us today. I think, just like the readers of the letter to the Hebrews, we feel, we like to feel that we can do something about our sin, uh, do something to free ourselves from the guilt of sin. I think it's hum, uh, human nature. We want to feel like we're in control. Uh, if you want something done right, you've got to do it yourself, right? Uh, so we feel if we can do something with our own hands, demonstrate our obedience to God, perhaps we somehow feel more assured of our salvation. We may not go around slaughtering animals anymore, but we can do plenty of things to free ourselves, seek to free ourselves from the guilt of sin. I think it shows up sometimes in our, our motives. Maybe we, we go to church and we make sure we're here every single week because we feel it's the right thing to do. Uh, we're pleasing God by being here, so we go even if we don't want to and if we're a little bit grumpy while we're here, so what? At least we're in church and God will be pleased with that. Maybe we begrudgingly make time for our Bible reading and prayer, even when we'd rather be sleeping in or you know, watching TV because we don't want to lose those brownie points with God. We know that that pleases him. And so we, there's another wrong motive there, isn't there? But maybe we, we do unto others, not because we want to, because we know that's what God expects. He commands it and we're to obey and doesn't that bolster our salvation god's watching us we don't want to slip up all of those things and any number of others you can think of can be good and are good and right things to do and we are to obey god but not with the wrong motives uh, there are so many ways we can tend to hold on to our guilt, try to perhaps take some responsibility for our salvation, but the fact is nothing we do earns us salvation or frees us from guilt. Our works are powerless to make us perfect, uh, just like the Levitical priesthood was powerless to make us perfect. So we're not bound to earn our salvation in any way. Now that we have Jesus, the very opposite is true. We can enjoy the freedom of being saved by Jesus, freedom from guilt and sin and shame, freedom from the endless cycle of temporary human works. We have a great high priest who made his sacrifice once for all and is now alive in heaven, interceding with us forever, constantly providing forgiveness for sin. Do you believe that that's true? Do you believe that's true, that Jesus is always interceding for you? Your salvation, it's not a distant memory. It's not just something that happened months, years, decades ago. It doesn't have an expiry date. You don't have to refresh your salvation or top it up. You don't need any other person on earth to do that for you. Jesus has provided a once and for all salvation, a once and for all time, solution to sin. Forgiveness is everlasting because Jesus always lives to intercede for you. Uh, only 
Jesus and his everlasting priesthood can bring that freedom. And this means we're free, uh, free to obey God, uh, free to do all those things we know we should do, not, not because we think they contribute to our salvation, but because we're just so grateful for the salvation we've received. Uh, have a look ahead uh, to Hebrews 9 with me quickly. Uh, we'll see how the preacher expresses this freedom to serve God. Hebrews 9 verses 13 and 14. Follow along there with me. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are uh, ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? We are saved in order to serve God. It's not the other way around. We don't serve to get that self. We are saved so that we may serve the living God. That salvation has been provided. Jesus, our great high priest, has set us free. The guilt-ridden Christian, uh, working away to try and earn a little bit of their salvation, can, can look very similar to the free Christian, both working and serving God enthusiastically. But the one does it because they need to feel better about their guilt, feel like they've done something about their sin the other does it because they know they are free from guilt the penalty for sin's been paid the motive has changed we no longer serve god to earn our salvation we serve and obey the living god out of gratitude out of joy because jesus has set us free and what a joy as christians to know that we don't need to fear the temporary nature of our world, our encroaching death has no hold over us. We know we have a high priest who is priest of an everlasting priesthood and he's provided the solution to the death and decay we all face. We now have hope in the face of death and this is a hope which we can pass on to those around us. We're surrounded by people who face the same frustrations but without hope. Uh, they know they live in a world of death and decay uh, like the soldiers in the trenches along the Western Front, they knew that death was approaching. Uh, what's beyond death is perhaps a mystery to them, and they have no way to deal with that problem. Uh, people certainly try. Uh, people have their priests and gurus and holy men. They uh, follow ceremonies or say words that will perhaps prepare their souls. They rely on maybe the spiritual power of Mother, Mother Earth, uh, some of them even just try and rely on their wit and charm to get by. Look, I'm a pretty good bloke. Surely if there's something beyond this life, God will be okay with me. <laughs> Every solution we come up, come up with uh, apart from Jesus is a dead end. Didn't realise there was a pun there, but there is. Pun not intended. He is the everlasting constant in a temporary world. And like Melchizedek, we need to point people to Jesus because he meets our greatest need. When, when God sent Jesus, he didn't send him to be a, a doctor or a philosopher or a humanitarian. He sent a priest. And what does that tell us about our greatest need? A priest offers sacrifices to God, goes behind the curtain to offer the sacrifice of atonement on behalf of the people. A priest intercedes between God and man to achieve forgiveness for sin. 
And that's what all people need. Our greatest needs, not for better health or better ideas or just a greater belief in ourselves. People need forgiveness for sin. Uh, That's the only real solution and it's our job as those who, who serve Jesus, who serve this great high priest to point people to him, to point people to the one who has made the sacrifice for sin once and for all, to to point people to the one who now stands before God like a barrister before a judge, interceding for us forever, pleading our case on the basis of his perfect sacrifice. We can have great confidence in Jesus' intercession for us. Let's embrace Jesus and his everlasting priesthood. Let's enjoy the freedom we have in Jesus, that freedom from death and decay, freedom from sin and guilt, freedom from temporary human works which can never save. And let's serve God out of joy, out of gratitude. Let's point people to Jesus, the priest of an everlasting priesthood. Let's ask God to help us do that. Let's, let's pray now. Please pray with me. Dear God, we praise you. We praise you because you are a loving and holy God. We praise you and thank you for your son Jesus, our great high priest. We thank you that Jesus is the priest of an everlasting priesthood, that Jesus lives forever, is always and constantly interceding for us. We thank you that the basis on which he intercedes is his pure, perfect and sinless sacrifice for sin. We praise you for this, Lord. Help us always to put our trust entirely in him. Help us uh, to be confident of the salvation we receive through Jesus. Help us to put our trust in nothing but Jesus. Help us never to be deceived, Lord, that we might be saved in any other way or by any other work than Jesus and his sacrifice for us as we put our confidence in him might we point others to him lord might others see and come to believe uh, in this uh, glorious truth the salvation we receive through jesus our great high priest help us in this we pray Uh, in jesus name amen